Hello, everyone. This is Doug Ferrara, Sports Illustrated, back with our good friend Greg Cosell for now the Greg Wildcard Playoff Edition of our preview podcast. Regular season in the books, and now 12 teams left, uh, eight teams facing off this weekend, and we have some very intriguing matchups. Starting with the Saturday game, Carolina at Carizona. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> Arizona. You've obviously been working far too many hours, Doug. Uh, clearly, yes. Uh, nothing about New Year's Eve in there. Please. Uh, Arizona <laughs> at Carolina. And I remember, I mean, Drew Stanton may play. It looks more and more like Ryan Lindley will be Bruce Arians quarterback for the Cardinals. And I remember when we were discussing Lindley coming out of college, you said something interesting about the fact that if you put Lindley's 20 best throws together, you'd have maybe a first-round talent. The problem was kind of the other stuff. Um, what, have right. you, what have you seen from him uh, as Arizona's third quarterback this year? And uh, and to an addendum to that, I, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced of his deep arm, and I'm wondering how Bruce Arians maybe reconciles that with his philosophy, which is uh, whoever's in there, we're going to throw deep. I mean, how can that offense function effectively in a playoff game against a pretty damn good defense uh, with Lindley at quarterback? Well, a couple things first. I think Lindley was significantly better this past week against San Francisco than he was the week before against Seattle. I thought he looked more comfortable. I thought that Bruce Arians did a really good job uh, through the first couple of series, he was under center more. I uh, thought he gave him very defined reads, defined throws. I thought he helped him, and I thought he threw the ball better. There, Lindley is a very good thrower. His issue, just as a pure thrower, is he's very scattershot. And what that holds for his future, that's not the point right now, but uh, he can be very scattershot and erratic with his accuracy. But when he is throwing the ball with, with good ball placement, he's got a pretty strong arm and can make every throw. Now, you mentioned the deep ball. He's amazingly enough for a guy with a pretty strong arm. His deep balls do seem to lose energy, so he's not a very good deep ball thrower is at that, this and point. It, that's what I noticed. Is that more a function of mechanics or because he's, I mean, I wouldn't say an experience. He's had, you know, he's had enough snaps in the NFL. This isn't his first rodeo. It's been a while. No. But, um, no. And then, why, why does and that to be happen? honest, I'm not sure the answer to that because I think he has a good arm. Uh you know, I, I guess to answer, I haven't really studied him closely enough to say, you know, no no mechanical issue immediately jumped out where I went, oh, look at his mechanics. Um, but he clearly has not thrown the deep ball really well, but he throws the intermediate ball well. Uh, I thought, you know, San Francisco's had a good defense this season. And uh, I thought that he made some very good intermediate throws, some very good anticipation throws when when the Niners played man coverage. Uh, And I thought overall it was a very good performance in his second start this year against a very good defense. Now, there's two sides to this when you play Carolina. Likely the game will be lower scoring and close. That would be my sense. Now, I actually, uh, Lindley to me is a better thrower than Drew Stanton. But in a close game, very often, maybe a quarterback on third and seven can run for nine yards and get an important first down. Stanton can do that. Lindley's not going to do that. So uh, there's pros and cons here, but, but I feel very comfortable based on film study saying that Lindley is a better thrower than Stanton. So how does that work in the function of Arizona's passing game? They don't really have anything at running back at this point, unless you're seeing something I'm not. So it's kind of air it out and and see what happens. Well, I don't 
don't know if they'll just air it out. I mean, I think they, they've been running the ball. They've gotten they've gotten production from Kerwin Williams. I mean, as you said, we're not suggesting he's um, you know Le'Veon Bell or Demarco Murray going into a playoff game, but they've gotten production. Um, Carolina, Doug, is is a team that. They play a lot of zone, predominant zone. Uh, they'll sprinkle in some man based on situations. Uh, they don't blitz a lot. It's very selective. So they're not necessarily a defense that presents a lot of tactical mysteries. Now, over the last eight games, and many might not be aware of this, in terms of yards per game allowed, they're second to the Seahawks. And the reason for that is their front four has played much, much better than they did earlier in the season. So their four-man nickel pass rush has improved dramatically. Uh, I believe that they have the best nickel linebacking duo in the NFL with Keekly and um, uh, Thomas Davis. Uh, I'm sure those in Seattle might uh, say Brighton and Wagner are those two, but let's put it this way. Keekly and Davis are very, very good. Um, So... And I think the the other thing, the third thing, is since they've uh, started Ben Wickery and Norman at corner, it's been about five weeks now, yep. uh, their corner play has significantly improved. Yeah, Ben Wickery, uh, opponent pass reading of 72.9. Norman, uh, opponent pass reading of 53.2. Let's talk about those two guys a little bit. And then I want to circle back to Thomas Davis, because I did a piece that's going up on SI Today, this being Thursday, Um about sort of underrated stars or, or guys you don't talk about in these games. And the more Davis tape I watched, and I focused on his ability to let's talk about Thomas Davis now. Hell, it's our podcast; we can do whatever we want. Um, the Seahawks game, you know, quick out to Baldwin, shut down. Quick swing pass to Turbin, shut down. He is, and for a guy who's had three ACL surgeries, it's amazing. Yep. He's thirty years old. It's his ninth year in the league. And I know that Keekley is the guy who runs the defense, and everything kind of flows through him. But I love Davis's recognition. I love his short area speed. And he's a guy, when we talk about the best, and, and you mentioned nickel, uh, my perception is that Carolina plays a lot of nickel, and they use Davis and Keekley as sort of half-field backers. And I think when we talk about half-field linebackers in a 4-3 defense, Thomas Davis might be the best guy we're not talking about. Oh, I, I, I've been watching Carolina tape for years now, and, and to me, Davis is a really, really good player. Every once in a while, depending on the opponent, they'll they'll put him uh, in a three-point stance and have him rush the quarterback. But he's, but those two guys, as far as nickel linebackers, and, and Carolina is a high, high percentage nickel team, very few snaps a dime. Um, uh, so those two guys are absolutely critical, and they're really both good at play recognition. They understand route concepts. Um, they're just really, really good nickel linebackers. And you need those guys to be great in, in, in coverage when you're essentially a four-man rush defense. Yeah, there was one, uh, the the swing pass to the right. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was a swing pass to the right to Turbin. And originally Davis was on Luke Wilson, who ran a crossing route, and he passed Wilson off to Keekley and just immediately uh, threw Turbin down. And these sound like little things, but they're really not. And the other thing no. about Davis is his closing speed. The pass to Baldwin to the right, uh, I believe uh, Davis was spying Wilson in the A-gap and somehow got not only got to Baldwin outside, but got to Baldwin and made the tackle when Keekley missed it. So this is a guy who the Cardinals are really going to have to watch out for. Now on to the cornerbacks, and, and the cornerback position for Carolina – Kind of a dumpster fire early in the year. Let's talk about these these two new cornerbacks, especially Josh Norman and what they bring to the table. 
Yeah, Norman is, is I like his skill set. He's he's got some size. He's he's kind of lean. He's lanky. He's but he's strong. He, you know, they don't play a lot of men, but when they line up at times in two shell, especially if it's cover two, they'll get the corners up on the line of scrimmage. And I remember a few weeks ago where Norman went at it pretty good with both Jackson and, and Mike Evans from Tampa, and he'll get in the face of, of uh, wide receivers. Uh, so he's he's showing the ability to do a lot of different things from both press position, from off coverage position. And, uh, and Ben Wickery, he started the year as their slot corner, then he got hurt and missed a lot of games. And then I guess in his uh, second game back, maybe they made him a starter. And uh, as I said, those two guys have really upgraded the corner position. The question, of course, being with John Brown, uh, who I know we both like a lot, and Michael Floyd, who can be a dynamic weapon, do they have the run and chase, the sort of trail and bail ability to deal with those guys? Uh, I think they they probably do. I, I don't view this as a, as a mismatch in any way. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't view the Carolina corners, particularly over the last five weeks, as, as issues, as, as the, the position was earlier in the season when clearly their corner play needed to be upgraded. And one other player is worth mentioning, uh, the rookie Trey Boston, who I believe was a fourth-round pick, mm-hmm. um, who I, I watched quite a bit of in North Carolina, and I thought he had a chance. And he's come in, and he's, he's flashed. He's done a good job. Yeah, pick six of, uh, I think, 80-plus yards last Sunday. So that's that's pretty good flashing for a rookie right there. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, the, the Carolina offensive line has been in flux. The running back position, a lot of injuries. It, it appears to me that, that Carolina's gone a bit more back to the option stuff just to get their running game going, and their running game has been very effective. What is, what is the sort of architecture of Carolina's offense at this point? Just what you said. In fact, they're in some ways like Seattle right now. See, when when you decide to go with the option and make all those run elements, and, and by the way, they, they do a lot more than just option. They do quarterback tower. They uh, they do um, triple option concepts. They they mix them within the same play. It's it's really it's fun to watch actually what they do with uh, with Newton and the shotgun. But I think they made a decision. Cam Newton is is an erratic week to week thrower. So their pass game is erratic and week to week. So what they've done is they've gone to the run game with Newton as the foundation, very similar to what Seattle does. Now, that can work. It can work when you have a really good defense because you don't get consistency out of your pass game, but you're ultimately not relying on consistency out of your pass game because your defense is playing really well. If you don't have a good defense, this can't work. No. Because you just won't get enough consistency. But when your defense plays at a high level, as Carolina's has over the last, oh, five, six, seven weeks, then, Doug, this can work. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah, and despite all the NFC South jokes, it makes them a very tough out no matter where they go or who comes to them. Um, When it comes to Carolina's defense, I mean, I've been so impressed and really shocked when they lost Dansby to Cleveland and Washington to the suspension. Those, to me, were the two best the, the, the best inside linebackers in pass coverage last season. To get Larry Foote, who is an older guy, and Kevin Minter, whose LSU tape flashed to me as, this guy is a forward motion player, and that's pretty much it. I've been so impressed with the way their, in t- their sort of intermediate pass coverage has gone. And I know that has, it has a lot to do with their cornerbacks, too, but... With Carolina's passing game, I mean, it's it's a lot of Kelvin Benjamin, obviously, and that's a guy who 
not complex routes but can win physical mismatches. How does Carolina's passing game, when they use it, match up with what Carolina brings in the pass defense? Because Arizona's pass defense is one of the more fascinating things to me um, in that a lot of personnel has changed and a lot of sort of unheralded players are stepping up. Well, it will depend on what Carolina does personnel-wise because Arizona is a dime defense. Yeah. They've played more dime than any team in the league, and Dion Buchanan is essentially a linebacker and has played extremely well as a rookie. Uh, I don't think that Arizona will view Carolina's pass defense as problematic in terms of how they match up. I would guess they'll put Peterson on Benjamin. They play a lot of man. I would guess they'll put Peter, Peterson on Benjamin and go from there. And the, the one player I think they would have to watch is Greg Olson. Yeah. And the Panthers do a lot with Olson. They like to line up, again, in some ways very similar to Seattle, they like to line up in three-by-one sets with three wide receivers to one side and Olsen to the other side. Now, Olsen could be either on the line of scrimmage, slightly flexed, or even split. And we've seen Olsen this year beat corners. Uh, now, if, if Arizona's playing man, it won't be a corner on Olsen. But that Olsen is the, is the one player who I think could pose some problems. Do they? I mean, it's do they run him out and flex? I know he's a good blocker, but do they treat him as sort of a quote unquote blocking tight end? Or do they flex him out and put him in slot and things like that? Uh, I mean, obviously he does line up on the line of scrimmage at times and is asked to block, but uh, he's more of the receiving tight end type player. He's he's a really good player. I mean, he's sort of overlooked among the tight ends in the league, but I think he's a really good player and. As I said, we've seen him this year beat corners when he's split as essentially the ex-ISO receiver. Yeah. Um, just the, the overall verdict on Patrick Peterson this year, uh, the Atlanta game was not pretty. I, I've seen him get beat on crossing routes. Where do you sort of stand with him? I mean, aside from that, he follows the receiver this way and that way, so he's quote-unquote better than Richard Sherman or Rebus or blah, blah, blah. Just in an in overall coverage sense, um, obviously you watch all the games. You've seen all of Patrick Peterson's snaps. Where do you sit with him right now? I think he had an up-and-down year. Um, I think there are times he's really, really good, and there's other times where he struggled. Um, and I think a lot of it is a technique thing, uh, and I think he would probably tell you that. But he's... Um, uh, he's certainly got a ton of athletic ability and is capable of matching up to any receiver in the league. But overall, you'd have to say that this season was was an up-and-down, uneven season for Peterson. Yeah, I would uh, definitely agree with that. Uh, certainly an interesting matchup there. I kinda, I'm kind of i starting to favor Carolina the more I think about it. Uh, Baltimore at Pittsburgh, the second Saturday game. And, Greg, we've been doing this podcast for a long time, and there are certain players we just beat the drum for. And one guy we've beaten the drum for a long time and really deserves more mention and will be in my article today is Pernell McPhee. And I can't even put a position on him. I call him a Baltimore defender because he's played everywhere from defensive tackle to right and left end to left and right outside linebacker. No matter what Baltimore puts on the field over the last four years, um, he's able to play it. And we all know about Terrell Suggs and Elmas Dumerville. They combined for 29 sacks this year, and they're both great players. But... When I watch McPhee, he reminds me a little bit of Michael Bennett or maybe a Lamar Houston, maybe a Jarrell Casey. There are those rare guys who can get pressure from any gap. And I was watching his tape for this article, and I've seen him get pressure and get sacks everywhere from standing up in a, uh, a one-tech alignment 
on the, the center shoulder to wide nine where he beat Joe Thomas last week. Uh, let you know, add, preach to the choir and tell us why this guy is so good. Well, you know, I've liked him for years, and he's played more snaps this year than I believe in any previous year. That's correct. They line him up all over the formation. He's a stand-up joker. He can line up at the end. He can line up at the tackle. Uh, he's a very good pass rusher. Uh, so I've always liked McPhee, and uh, as I said, he's clearly now being used a lot more. Now, a function of that could certainly have been Nada being out. Uh, we'll see what happens with Nada back this week, how they sort of mix and match with their uh, their defensive line and and linebackers because McPhee sort of does both but he's a very good player yeah Um, as far as their sort of intermediate pass coverage we've talked a little bit about CJ Mosley but uh, with with Baltimore safeties and their inside linebackers give us a summary of how they've worked running pass this year well you know, I think we all know that the, that the weakness in, in this defense is the secondary. So now when you talk about the linebackers, especially when they're in nickel, I think Mosley and Smith, they're also two very good uh, pass coverage linebackers and, and nickel linebackers. Uh, and, and you know who they've gotten really good play from and, and, and is Will Hill. Since Will Hill got there and has basically been starting at safety, he's always been a very athletic kind of multi-dimensional player, and he's really you know plugged some holes for this for this defense. He's played a lot better, let's say, than than Matt Elam, who I believe was their first round pick last year. Yeah. Uh, so they they've been fortunate there. The issue for them is if you can get to their corners, which a lot of teams do, is that's where they have some problems. Yeah. Um, and Elam, I believe he's played some of the slot this year. They've got, he has. They've kind of put him in places where, it, yeah, uh, it was a slot performance. I think they're searching. You know, yeah. Elam has not been great at safety. He's athletic, so they've tried him in the slot simply because they've had so many injuries. They've had to go to the street to get corners. So uh, they've been moving Elam around, and I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be their slot guy going forward. Actually, he has more, uh, 231 snaps in the slot, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, almost twice as many as uh, Lardarius Webb, who's second. So they do that a well, lot. Well, there you go. And it's, uh, yeah, he's given up 31 catches and 41 targets for 330 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks in the slot. Uh, yikes. So, obviously, we know about Antonio Brown. We know about Martavius Bryant. Um, and we'll get to, you know, the, the presence or absence of Le'Veon Bell in a minute. Um are there aspects to the Steelers' passing game that we're not talking about, certain players or certain concepts that maybe you've seen on tape that uh, other people might have overlooked? Well, a couple of things. Number one, the Steelers, uh, Roethlisberger's throwing the ball more from empty sets, no back sets, than any quarterback in the league, uh, which is interesting because the other the other thing you, you notice when you watch tape is almost the exact opposite of how much more they've also max protected this year. Yeah. So it's really been a mixed bag. This is an offense that is very multidimensional and very versatile and can play in a variety of ways. Uh, Heath Miller has really been an outstanding pass protector this year. I've seen him one-on-one with defensive ends and handle them with no problem. Uh, and and I'm sure that for a lot of people this might be a surprise, but it's just a year with Roethlisberger, and I think he's had his best season. 
he doesn't move anywhere near as much as he used to. You know, I'm not, he's a much better. Po- I mean, and when you, oh, he doesn't move as much, so he must be a better pocket passer. That's not always true. But I've seen him be more decisive. I've seen him yep. bulk fewer times, and he can get away with that because he's a big guy. But he has stood in the pocket more, and it seems like that sort of rough marriage between him and Haley is starting to work out. Oh, for sure. And, you know, normally, uh, as you get older, you become a lot smarter and you play the game with a lot more uh, intelligence and awareness, and he's able to isolate more quickly where to go with football. And when you do that, you don't need to move. So he's become – I mean, I can remember games this year that I watched where I'd, I'd be, you know, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and I'd say to myself – I don't think Roethlisberger has actually moved out of the pocket yet in this game. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, he's played that way. And like I said, that's normally a function of just having a much greater understanding of, of everything, pre-snap and post-snap. So let's get to Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, he's, he's apparently walking around. He's not practicing. Let's say he – I mean, we, we, we know how good he is, not just as a runner, but as a pass catcher. And yeah. his really underrated aspect to me is as a pass blocker. He's he's really good in pass pro too. So let's say he's out and it's you know Ben Tate or whoever who they just signed. Um, what are the Steelers losing in that equation? Because everyone talks about them as pass, pass, pass. They have maybe the best running back in the NFL right now, and that's going to be a big hit if he's not out there. Yeah, and I think we know what they're losing. So let, let's let me turn the question around to say what I think they might do if he doesn't play. Right. Uh, and I think one thing I would look for is maybe a little more know-how of tempo because Ben loves that. I think you have some players that you could possibly get some touches and could stress defenses in a three-arch type player yeah. uh, if you decide to go that route. And I also think uh, if you do that, it could help minimize, as, as no huddle normally does, help minimize pass rush. And then it might reduce the effectiveness over the course of a game of Suggs and Doomerville because you've got to block those guys. And uh, you know, it's just a thought. I, you know, as I as I sort of look and, and think about this game, it would not surprise me to see the Steelers do that. And that's one. Th- I mean, in my mind, that's one thing about Bell. I mean, he's such a patient runner. But the Steelers' offense, I mean, it, it sort of slows down at times. And I don't mean it to right. say it's like in molasses or anything, but it's more an old school move the chains when when he's in there. Um, you talked about uh, Archer. How are they using him? Not not a whole lot. I mean, you know, I think he obviously came in last week when Bell got hurt, but I think if Bell does not play, they'll clearly have packages for him. Sort of, I, I would think, similarly to the way the Chiefs used uh, DeAnthony Thomas, who, you know, only played, oh, I don't know, 15, 17 snaps a game, but he was impactful in those snaps, whether he got the ball or not, because of how they chose to utilize him. I, I would expect to see something similar with the Steelers. So to turn this on its head, um... Baltimore's offense against Pittsburgh's defense. And you want to talk about bad cornerback play. Let's talk about bad cornerback play, Greg. Let's talk about the Steelers right now. Ugh. That's not pretty. What, well, that secondary, I, I, ooh. Yeah. I mean, Bryce, and, McCain, and I th- Bryce McCain has shown some stuff, but in a general, like, play-to-play sense, I'm not really sure what's going on back there. Well, I mean, obviously, they, they, they're playing McCain and, uh, and Gay as the starters. Then they, they move McCain inside and play Blake on the outside, number 41. Uh, and 
Baltimore's offense this year under Kubiak has not really been a downfield passing offense the way it has been in the past with Joe Flacco. Um, But I think you have to attack a weak link. And we know that Flacco likes to throw the ball down the field. He's an aggressive thrower. He's a good downfield thrower. Now, their receiving core has been very spotty and uneven this year, and that's been an issue and a concern. But I think you have to attack a weak link, and I think you have to attempt to push the ball down the field at times. There, There will be plays to be made, whether they get made, that's why they play the game, obviously, but there will be opportunities. One thing about, and I'm not saying this is a general indictment of him as an offensive coordinator, but um, I talked to a couple defenders who played the Texans last year when Matt Schaub was on his Pick 6 festival, and uh, and Richard Sherman especially told me, basically, when the Texans lined up, we knew exactly what routes they were going to run. We knew exactly what concepts they were going to throw at us. We were practicing the exact things they were giving us, and that's why we were ready. And I, I think my two questions here are, A, how much does that happen in the NFL? And B, are you seeing route diversity in what Baltimore is doing now? Well, I think it happens a lot more than people think. I mean, I think that you don't win in the NFL necessarily because you're tricking teams. There's a lot of teams that, based on my film study, uh, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, that run a lot of the same things over and over. Uh, They try to do it out of window dressing, different looks, different alignments, maybe some different personnel at times. But if you're talking, let's say, route concepts or, you know, that teams do what they do, run game. There are a lot of teams that just, the Cowboys do not have a very multiple run game. But you know what? They've got a really good all-line, and it works. So I don't know exactly what that means. It's hard for me to answer that. Uh, I think Kubiak does certain things that he really likes. The tight end is is a major part of his pass game. Clearly, they're a zone running team to start. That's what they do. They've done it pretty well. so, uh, you know, that that's a hard question for me to get my head around. So the Smith brothers, Tori and Steve, you said spotty performance. What's your... I would agree. O- I, would, I would say that for sure. Overall take on both of them, attributes and liabilities, and, you know, if, if they're attacking a weak link, how do they do that? Yeah, I think Steve Smith is not as dynamic as he was, which is to be expected. Um and, and Tory Smith, to me, I think he, he can run vertical routes, and, and he'll run by the defense, get over the top of corners at times, and, and obviously he hits some big plays that way. I don't think he does a whole lot as, a, as an intermediate route runner. Uh, I think he, he runs those in-breakers at times, and, and, and Flacco hits him on those. Flacco's a great intermediate inside, you know, kind of like those dig kind of throws. He's great at those throws. But I, don't, I think Tory Smith is, is uh, not, not a complete multidimensional receiver. The issues with Pittsburgh's defense in a general sense, are these, I mean, and it's, it's six of one, half a dozen, I don't think the answer is ever one or the other completely, but is it more personnel or scheme? Because it's Dick LeBeau, you know, it's Pittsburgh, and we all think, well, it has to be a great defense year after year. I think they're 30th in football outsiders metrics. They've had issues run and pass in, in a general sense. What's going on here? Well, I think the pass is the key thing. I mean, I thought I thought they played pretty well this past week. Um you know, I think the pass is is the big issue, and that's where you you, know, you get caught because you know what it's like in this league. If you give up big pass plays, I mean, that's like having bad starting pitching in baseball. It makes everything about your defense and your team look bad, and that's where they've had some concerns is they've given up far too many big explosive pass plays. Yeah. 
Cincinnati at Indianapolis, and this was a twenty-seven to nothing shutout earlier in the year. But the Bengals were without were without a lot of defenders at that point, and I think they were sort of in flux as far as what their schemes were. Um, we we discussed this uh, for the article I did on on Manziel and and how the Bengals dealt with him. Um, watching more and more of Cincinnati's defense over the last week, and I want to talk about their safeties because I really like what Reggie Nelson and George Iloka are doing, and I think Iloka especially has been really interesting in pass coverage. I like their disguises. I think you know they've run they ran a zone blitz against the Steelers late in the game that it was as pretty as any you'll ever see. Um, Let's talk about the Bengals' defense, or the Bengals' defense, and how you deal with a guy like T.Y. Hilton and a deep thrower like Andrew Luck, and that because that dude will fling it as much as anybody. Yeah, and I think one of the things that stood out is how the the Bengals' defense has evolved over the course of the year. Early in the year, there were a lot of blitz, and that's what we always see uh, because their D coordinator Paul Gunther is really, really good with blitz design. But I think. They, they settled into being a lot more of a stable kind of defense. They don't blitz a ton. Uh, they play more zone now. Uh, obviously some man, but more zone. And uh, I think that ultimately pass rush becomes the key for them. They're struggling with a four-man pass rush. They had a hard time against, against Roethlisberger this week. Um, now, they're playing against the Colts O-line. That's by NFL standards, a below-average pass-protecting all the The Colts' offense is really not very good. No. Um, their whole line's not very good. They don't have a run game. They've got a great quarterback. T.Y. Hilton's really good. Other than that, they don't have a whole lot. Well, we saw when T.Y. Hilton was out against the Cowboys, and the Cowboys have a better-than-average defense, but you don't expect them to shut luck down for a little over 100 yards, and that's what happened. No, and, and so this is not really... The, the Colts, to me, are a fascinating team because I don't know you're feeling good, but I don't think the Colts are really that good a team. Uh, and we just talked about their offense. Their defense is really not that good either. Uh, I think, so, well, I think they have three pillars, and it, 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 I find it interesting, too, because how far can you go with a, cor- a, a great quarterback, an outstanding inside and outside speed receiver, and uh, two or three guys, maybe the best cornerback in the NFL this year. How far can you go with that? Because it's, it's Luck and Hilton and Vontae Davis who are kind of holding the whole thing up. But, but there's too many missing parts. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to the matchup specifically, um, I wonder if you might see uh, Paul Gunther uh, whip out some more of his blitz concepts this week. And again, not high percentage. I'm not saying you know 50, 60 percent. Let's just go. But you know, blitz a little more selectively uh, because I think that he's going to feel that he can cover these receivers, whether it's a man concept or his own concept. Uh, and I think he definitely feels he can break down this all line and and. Charles is out, and he wasn't playing that well anyway. So that that's you know another weak link on the O line. So I wouldn't surprise me to see Paul do a little more blitzing this week. Well, yeah, I think they use uh, Emmanuel Lamore as kind of there. I've seen him blitz outside. I've I've seen him um, in the B gap once in a while. I mean, is he sort of their variable? If we're going to send a fifth guy, he's it, or do they, they use other guys too? Well, it's funny because uh, last week at times, Lemur wasn't even on the field in their nickel. They actually had Maluka, but then Lemur did play in the nickel. He's been up and down. He's an athletic kid, uh, but he's he's been an up-and-down player. I think Vincent Ray is the guy who's probably been their, their most stable and consistent linebacker. I like uh, him a lot. He, 
What's that? I like Ray a lot. He's uh, yeah. I mean, certainly since Perfect has been out, uh, Ray Ray has flashed quite a bit. Um, but they need more from their four man pass rush. Uh, and then you know we always point to Dunlap because he's so physically gifted, but he's not proven to be that kind of pass rusher, even though his skill set suggests he could be. When they do the, if it's uh, are they more a nickel or dime team? First of all. Mostly nickel, but you know, here's what's fascinating to me is that two weeks ago against the Broncos and Peyton Manning, they played many snaps of dime, and Taylor Mays played as the dime defender. Then last week against Roethlisberger, almost I don't think they played a snap of dime. Mays was not on the field, and I, you know, when I watch tape, I always think to myself, why did they do that against Peyton Manning? Why did they not do it against Ben Roethlisberger? And, and I don't necessarily have a great answer, but I'm, you know, it's, it's the kind of question I would love to ask a coach. I wonder if uh, you want to keep that extra linebacker on the field because you think you have Le'Veon Bell, but then again, you have C.J. Anderson too. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, you know, we, we could probably throw out five or six different reasons, yeah. and we'd just be guessing. When they do their zone blitzes, and again, I, I think the Bengals run zone blitz as well as uh, as any team right now, in my opinion. Um, who are the over? Do they have a standard package of like overload guys they want to send to the, like this safety, this corner, and a dime package, or how do they set that up? Well, Nelson's always been sort of an intriguing blitzer for them as a guy who comes off the edge, and he's, I think over the last two, three years, he's become a really good player. Uh, they use him in a variety of ways. You know, normally when teams blitz now, and certainly of the zone blitz variety, they like to bring a slot corner, they like to bring a safety, because it's about speed now. You, The, the game is not for the offense, there's not a lot of deep drops. So when you blitz, you need guys who can get there quick. And that ends up being corners and safeties. So Nelson is very much a part of, of their blitz packages. Um, Indy's defense, which we just mentioned a little bit. I mean, Vontae Davis is great. Greg Toller's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. I have not been impressed with Bjorn Warner. I wasn't impressed when he came out of school either. Um, Jarrell Freeman, who I used to like a lot. I'm not too sure about that. I mean, where Where is Indy's defense? Because we saw, obviously, when Vontae Davis was hurt against the Steelers and Ben threw for 500-something yeah. yards. I mean, even with Andy Dalton playing up and down, you still have Jeremy Hill to deal with. I mean, what, what are they? I, and I'm always interested with teams like this where the personnel just isn't there, but you're still in the playoffs, so here you are. What are they trying to do? If they had the personnel to do it, what would they like to do based on your film study? Are we talking Indies D or Cincinnati's O? Uh, the the Colts defense defense. Well, I think ultimately they'd like to be multiple up front, and I think Chuck Pagano would would like to be in a situation where you know he he has a little bit of that Baltimore pedigree where they could do a lot of things with a lot of different people, which they at times try to do. They just don't have a pass rusher, and when you have to always try to create and manufacture pressure, it's hard to play. Now, yes, Toller and Davis can play man-to-man. And and Toller is, has had a good year. You know, prior to this year, no one would necessarily have said Greg Toller was a great corner. Uh, he's had a good year. Davis is a real good man-to-man corner. Uh, but other than those two guys, I, I think when you look at their talent, it's it's 
it's probably average. And where they've really been hurt is their linebackers can't cover. And that's why I look in this game. I think Gio Bernard's a fascinating player in this game. Uh, We know that he's not their foundation back, and I think since he's doing absolutely the right thing, their offense must start with a run game because of Andy Dalton. But Gio Bernard is a fascinating player in this game because I think you must use him uh, to try to create matchups, man-to-man matchups against the Colts linebackers. Do they? I've seen them flare him out wide a couple times. Am I, are my eyes yeah, well, me there? Certainly in the slot. They've done that. They got him in the slot. I mean, two weeks ago against Denver, he caught a touchdown when he was in the slot, and he ran a great route against Steven Johnson, the linebacker. He caught a touchdown last week where he was actually doubled, and one of the guys was a linebacker, and he was able to cross his face and, and catch another touchdown. But. You know, the question is, how many snaps will they play him without losing the foundation of their offense, which has obviously been Jeremy Hill? Yeah. Uh, Colts' front seven is going to have a more difficult time because this Bengals offensive line, I mean, Andrew Whitworth, how he didn't make the Pro Bowl. We're not going to talk Pro Bowl, but, you know, that's how good he is. And uh, we're going to bring up your favorite, your your guy over my guy in that draft. You love Kevin Zeitler more than I like David DeCastro. Um that Bengals offensive line, we probably haven't talked as much as we should have about that. And to me, we talk about Jeremy Hill, we talk about A.J. Green and Andy Dalton up and down. In my opinion, the more I watch the technique and the consistency of that offensive line, I think that's the fulcrum not only of the offense but of the team. Yeah, I think, and it's funny you mentioned Zeidler because I think he's played really, really well over the last, oh, I don't know, three, four games maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I think their O-line is has played well. They moved some people around, but now I think they've they settled into what they want. Um, Eric Winston has started at right tackle the last two weeks uh, and done perfectly fine. Yeah, he's played, and, pretty, he's played pretty well, surprisingly. Yeah, and, and I think that... Um, uh, you know, their run game is now clearly their foundation, and as it should be. Look, we, everybody's debated. We don't need to debate it. You and I have debated it before. It's not a debate. You know, just discussed it. Andy Dalton, but uh, I think everybody pretty much knows what he is and the fact that if he's a quarterback, you need the offense to work through the run game. And there's a lot of quarterbacks like that. That's not a bad thing, but that's the reality. And they finally came to that conclusion about four or five weeks ago, and Jeremy Hill is now their foundation. And he's a, he's a, a an, an interesting physical prototype to me, six one, about 240, but with a lot more speed than you might expect from that body type and still a lot of collision ability. I mean, he, he strikes me as a very complete back. He's got light feet for a big man, and you always like to see that. That's what you look for with those big guys, because if they don't have light feet, they end up being just plotters. And he's got the ability to to get in and out of holes. He does have the ability to get to the perimeter a little bit, uh, and there's some physicality to him. So he's got a very good skill set to be a foundation back. So let's say, hypothetically, Vontae Davis takes A.J. Green out of the game, so then your matchup is Tuller, whoever, on Mohamed Sanu, what are the other aspects of Cincinnati's passing game? If because if you know if T. Y. Hilton hits a couple and all of a sudden it's fourteen to nothing, obviously that's when it's on Dalton, and it needs to be on more than just Dalton because that doesn't work. Well, again, 
and this game was week seven, so but both teams, I'm sure, looked at it. But when these two teams played, uh, the Bengals had some significant pass protection issues. They were terrible on third down. Uh, they couldn't really protect, and, and they couldn't get open. Now, Green did not play in that game, I guess. He has not been cleared yet as of today, Thursday, as we're speaking. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect the Colts to change their stripes. I mean, no one does exactly the same thing when they play the same opponent. But I think conceptually, I wouldn't expect them to drastically change the way they play. Uh, and I think they'll they'll go after Dalton in third and long situations, and they'll play man, and they'll make Dalton have to make stick throws. And Andy Dalton has struggled with that over the last, oh, I don't know, month or so. Yeah. You yeah, struggled with that over the last, I don't know, five years or so. But that's just me. Uh, moving to our final wild card game, and to me the most intriguing matchup, uh, D- uh, Detroit at Dallas. And we, we talked a little bit with Pernell McPhee about versatile players. I don't know that there's a linebacker in the league who has kind of switched his stripes in the last year and done it so well from thing to thing more than DeAndre Levy. Last year he had six interceptions. I, and this is just my observation, was more of a pass coverage guy uh, out of necessity by dint of the fact that Detroit secondary was horrific. This year, because Terrell Austin has them on point, Darius Slay has played a lot better. Obviously, uh, Glover Quinn and uh, Ahedebo are, are good, although Ahedebo was benched, which was interesting in Week 17. Um, DeAndre Levy has become a blitzer. He's become a premier run stopper. And, you know, this is another guy who just does not get enough credit. But he, this is a special player, Greg. Well, I think, you know, it's funny you say that because when I watch the Lions on tape, and, and I think Levy's a good player, but I, I notice Whitehead just as much. I think yeah. they're two, those two linebackers, you know, especially in nickel, are really good players. Did, did and I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, to, to hear Whitehead, who came in for Stephen Tullock when Tullock was lost for the season. Right. Well, Whitehead was a starter in their base, and then he came off the field in their nickel when Tullock was healthy. But now he plays all the time. And. Uh, you know, I, I, I notice him just as much. I, I think that those two guys have played very, very well. This is a team that is mostly, their defense starts with that front group, whether you want to say front seven or front six, but it starts with that front group. And uh, and they led the NFL in, in rush defense, and that's where this matchup starts because the Cowboys are a running football team. They run 70% on first down, far and away the highest first down run percentage in the NFL. That's what they do. They're not going to change this week. And it's, uh, I believe it's the team that has the most yards after contact with DeMarco Murray against the team that it limits, uh, to has the fewest yards after contact allowed. So obviously we know about Ndamukong Su. He's a special player. Uh, DeAndre, God, DeAndre Levy per pro football focus has 80 stops. That's just nuts. Um, how are their ends? I mean, Ezekiel Ansah is obviously um, uh, an, an effective player. Who else in there? How does because we we know about Sue. We just talked about Levy and Whitehead. Who else is stepping up in that run defense? Um, you know, I think overall it's you know they play a lot of wide nine, even in, you know in, in their base look, and uh, I think that. 
you know, I think Mosley started this week because, and he's been starting, and he's he's a pretty good player in my opinion. Uh-huh. I don't know what you think. I think he's a pretty good player. He has been for a while, and you know, he doesn't. No one really talks about him. And Saw has. He's really athletic. I mean, he makes three or four plays a game that you you just look at him and go, wow, not a lot of guys are going to do that at that size. I think overall that front's pretty athletic. And I think it starts there because, you know, when you have an athletic front, you can do a lot of things with movement. You can beat guys just with, with quickness. And I think it all starts with that group up front, including the linebackers. So the ability to stop the run, to bring pressure with four or six if you're playing nickel or or however that is, um, obviously gives the secondary a lot more traction. And we talk about the safeties a lot. We haven't really talked this year about Rasheen Mathis and Darius Slay at cornerback. Uh, give us kind of an assessment of where they are. Yeah, and I think they've been good. I mean, this is a team that plays a lot of zone, you know, some man, but a lot of zone. They, you know, the Cliff Notes version of Detroit is that they are a front-based defense and they play a lot of umbrella coverages and keep things in front of them. That's the, the sort of Cliff Notes version of this defense. Not a high percentage blitz defense at all, the occasional, but that's how they play. And I think their feeling is that their front is so good that if you have to keep running plays against this front, that eventually you're not going to gain yards and you're going to be in second and nine or third and ten, and that's always advantageous for the defense. And they probably have a point. Um, Yeah. But against this Cowboys offensive line and DeMarco Murray's ability, because it's not just the line, it's, it's that line with the combination of Murray's quickness and decisiveness to and through the hole. And then how, how good are the Lions at splitting gaps? Because against a team like this, you've got to do that. You've got to find your opening because otherwise they'll just power zone you to death. Well, Look, the Cowboys' run game has not been stopped much this year. A couple of teams have done a good job. The Cardinals stopped them. And the Cardinals, what they did is they played a lot of bear, 46, where they squeezed inside. I doubt the Lions will do that because the Lions, that's not the way they play. They're, They're a wide front defense. I don't think they'll totally change how they play for the game. Um, you know, when I watch the the, uh, the run game for the Cowboys, they do such a good job up front. I, I think over the last six weeks, I don't know if anybody's played center better than Travis Frederick. Um, I agree with that. Uh, you know, so they give you a, a lot of holes. They give Murray a lot of, a lot of point of attack openings. Uh you know, Murray's a fascinating run to me because I, you know, obviously he has 1,800 plus yards, and but I think Murray. Here's the way I would describe Murray. I don't know how you would. I think he's a decisive, downhill, and determined runner who's deceptively strong and powerful. I think he's much more straight line than laterally agile and explosive. I think he's much more stiff than loose hipped. He's kind of more workmanlike than creative. I don't think Murray at his core is a great runner. You know, one of those guys who go, wow, that guy is just, look at that guy run. I don't think he's that guy, but I think over the last couple of years, he's become a, a much more physical, determined, tough runner. I remember watching him at his senior bowl and thinking, God, this guy looks like a receiver because he was very upright yeah. and he didn't have a lot of bulk. He is. Him, but he's, I I he's, not, he's not a loose hip guy. Yeah. And obviously it sounds crazy to say because, you know, he's rushed for whatever the yards are. And I'm certainly not saying he's not a good runner, but he's not. To me, and again, you may disagree, and that's the fun of this, but um, he's not a loose-hipped guy. Can you grab that? 
Well, I think we've talked enough about DeMarco Murray's hips, um, so I'll move on. The Cowboys' passing game, and we've discussed this a bit this week, this year, um, it's not a lot of trips bunch, it's not a lot of crossers, it's not a lot of get get open that way. Uh, to me, it's a lot of levels, it's a lot of sort of tiers. Obviously, Des Bryant is the star, and he's um, he's the guy this defense will have to deal with, but... Um, it, it seems that lately, Romo and Bryant in particular, and the entire Dallas passing game, this now makes them more dangerous because everyone wants to discuss, oh, oh the run game is this and that. Dallas's passing game lately is for real. And one of the things that surprises me and uh, is the, the lack of play action. And you would think with a run game like that, they do more of that. Well, that's really interesting. We talked about that, and we're going to talk about it in the matchup show this week, is that percentage-wise, and, and they did a little more this week, which I noticed, but overall this season, they've been under 20% of Romo's throws have come off play action, which, which is, is a really surprising stat it's given it's how dominant their run game has been. Yeah. And you would think that they would be able to have great success uh, doing it, but, hey, this is the offense they run. It's been successful. Um you know, I think their past game has been very, very good. I think Romo, uh, I don't think Romo had a great game this past week, but for the most part, he's had a really, really good season. Um, you know, I think over the last four or five weeks, they've gotten Cole Beasley a lot more involved in their passing game. Jason Witten's become a bigger factor over the last month or so. You know, we know about Des Bryant. The guy who I've really struggled to watch on tape, and I, I, I'm not sure what he is going forward, is Terrence Williams. Yeah, and I, boy, I thought this, I kind of had a feeling like he was going to be something special, and I'm, I'm not seeing it either. He's really straight line. He's not quick in and out of breaks. He's, you know, he's one of those straight line vertical guys who's really may not be fast enough to truly fit that role. Yeah. Uh, I have the stats here. Romo, again, per pro football focus, five touchdowns, five interceptions with play action, 29 touchdowns, four interceptions, no play action. Now, play action, obviously. Uh, three of those came week one against uh, San Francisco in the first half. Three yeah. of those picks. Um, but. When you're when you're doing play action, obviously you you know you're turning to the running back. Maybe you don't get as much time to read that first thing. Is that perhaps a more important element of his game that he needs to see the field right away and sort of discern, discern from the word go? Well, that's a great point. Some guys are not comfortable turning their back to the defense, and to really execute play action at its highest level, you need to do that. And it's not a function of smart or anything like that. Oh, no, Some no, guys no, I, I mean, let's, let's get the, the crap that people say about Tony Romo out of the way. He's a tough player, he's a great quarterback, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying any of that. No, no, and I, I've always really liked Tony Romo, and I thought he's gotten a raw deal at times. You know, The narrative for him is already written, unless he gets to a Super Bowl, and then people might change. You know, Tony Romo's <laughs> one of those guys that the only big games he's ever played in are games he loses. Other than that, he's never played in a big game. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, yeah, but that we know that that stuff. But um, but a lot of guys don't. You know, I've had this conversation with Ron Jaworski a thousand times. A lot of guys don't like to turn their back to the defense, uh, and it's they're just not comfortable. And because when you snap your head around, you know the defense doesn't look the same as it did before you, you, you turned your back. And some guys just aren't comfortable with that. And maybe Romo's one of those guys. I know Carson Palmer never did a lot of play action. I don't think he was. You know, I, I could be wrong, but my sense is he was not real comfortable turning his back to the defense. Well, I'll give you. A, I mean, I'll give you a stat here. Philip Rivers per PFF. He, Seven point eight percent of the passes this year have been play action. Yeah. So, and 
Do you know, I think we both love Philip Rivers. That's of not course. a question. But some guys just don't like to do that. And one guy that surprises me, I'm going to digress for a second here, is Drew Brees because he's a motion quarterback. They have sort of a, a, a diverse offense, 17.4% of the time play action. And up with play action, by the way, eight touchdowns, no picks. Right. So... You know, it's a fascinating uh, thing to talk about. You know, I, I, neither you nor I know the reason specifically, but it just seems counterintuitive with the Cowboys. Yeah. Moving to Detroit's offense and, you know, the offensive line, iffy, uh, the run game up and down. Obviously, we know about Megatron. Golden Tate has been uh, to the delight of Detroiters and to the dismay of Seattleites, uh, a, a big addition for them. But I keep coming back it's to It's funny that. how he went from a team that had no receivers last year to catching 99 balls this year. Well, I, you know, I knew he'd be high volume because the, the, the Lions pass more than any team. The Seahawks pass the fewest. So, hmm, there you go. I think he's going to get more targets. Go figure. Um, you know, I, we've discussed Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, here and there with the new offense. And... The conclusion I came to this week after watching some Stafford tape is if Jay Cutler wasn't in the NFC North, we'd talk a lot more about Matthew Stafford's inconsistencies because I see these, you know, this and that mechanical failure, this and that busted read, and I just, I still, as talented as he is and as long as he's been in the NFL, Greg, I don't know what to make of Matthew Stafford. And that's, you know, that's a dangerous thing to have at that position when you're in the playoffs. I think the, the difference, and, and, and I know you brought up Cutler, the difference is twofold. Certainly over the last year and a half, let's say, is Stafford makes more really good throws and he doesn't throw picks. There's a perception of Stafford that he throws a lot of picks. He threw 12 this year. Yeah. He can throw a lot of incompletions in certain games, but he's not a guy who turns it over a ton. So I think that's a significant difference, those two things. But I think over the course of this year, if if I had to, you know, so, so-called give him a grade, I think within this new offense there's been incremental improvement. Uh, you know, it's been uneven, but it's been incremental. And he's going to have to have a really good game against a secondary that can be had with the Cowboys for, for uh, Detroit to have a shot to win this game on the road. Yeah. Um, then Joyke Bell's an interesting guy, kind of a sustainer. He, I think the most carries he's had this year is 23 against the Bears uh, in late November. Has never had 100 yards in a game, but has come close, 860 yards. How do they factor in their run game? Because it's obviously it's a heavy well, passing team. They've not been able to run the ball very well this year at all, Doug, and that's been a huge problem. And, you know, they're somewhat of a one-dimensional offense. And that that... I think that's who they are right now. I mean, will they hand the ball off? Sure they will. But I don't think that they're going to rush 30 times for 150 yards in this game. They're going to have to win this game throwing the football. So how they choose to work the run game in, that'll be interesting. But I really don't see their run game being a a major factor in in competing and winning this game. Which I find kind of works with Henry Melton, I think, is out. I mean, I, I might want to lean on that a little bit more if it were me. Well, you know, I don't. I assume you've watched the Cowboy defense a good amount. Yep. I think that uh, Crawford, number 98, played very, very well. Over the well, last I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when Dallas's defense really hit the map to me, and it was when I was in the press box for that Seattle game in week six. And I went into the locker room after I talked to a number of Cowboys defensive players, 
And what I came away with was, you know, it's a spacing defense. It's not, a, it's not obviously not a, a defense with a lot of, you know, pro bowlers, but it's a defense that plays with incredible discipline. It's a defense that can be had, but you have to, you have, to have them over time. You have to keep right. them on the field. If they're on the field for, say, 25 minutes and the Cowboys win the time of possession battle, you're screwed because in a two-drive series and in a bunch of three-and-outs, they're disciplined enough uh, to hide that stuff, and they have been all year I, because Rod Marinelli's done an unbelievable job with that. I couldn't agree more. I think they're a defense that is a function of number of snaps, and there was one point in the season where they defended the fewest snaps in the league. I don't know if that ended up being the case you know, at the end of the regular season, but uh, they're a, a hustle defense. They're not that tactically diverse, uh, so you can attack them. You know what you're going to get very often. Um, the more they're on the field, which I guess is true of any defense, but certainly as a part of their overall team, they're a team that is built on the run game offensively, and that's how they control the pace and tempo of games. Um, obviously very different uh, offenses, but the one game uh, outside of the opener against the Niners that they were really out of was the Week 13 loss to the Eagles. What did the Eagles do offensively and defensively that the Lions could sort of look at and go, uh, we, we see a weakness here, or was that just one of those oddities? You know, I think it's somewhat of an oddity. I think Romo, because of this short week, was not himself. He, he was bad in that game. Well, that was the week was, he, didn't, he didn't take a shot for that game, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what to make of it. I, I think the Cowboys' defense really had a hard time with the speed tempo of the, of the Eagles, which I, I, the Lions are not going to do. So uh, I'm not sure that that game, quite honestly, fits in. As a as a real valuable tool for analyzing this game, yeah, and certainly getting back to Matthew Stafford, if the Cowboys control the clock, I mean that gets him fewer chances, a little bit less oxygen, and I don't know. Kind of seems to me that one could get fairly ugly. Well, Greg, uh, great stuff as always, uh, and you have, I believe, two NFL matchups this weekend. Uh, we do it, we do, and it's Thursday. We're shooting tonight, so uh, so I'm gonna. Take a nap after we hang up to get ready for my shoot tonight. And what will we be featuring on these NFL matchups? Well, we're obviously we do two separate shows Saturday and Sunday, three different shows each day. So, as they say, check your local listings for time in your area. But uh, we do the Saturday games uh, just in order of the way they play them: Saturday games in the first show, Sunday games in the second show, and we get a little uh, a little more time to kind of talk, you know, concepts and, and matchups than we do during the regular season. So it's it's a lot of work, believe me. But uh, I think the shows end up being pretty good. Is there anything we haven't discussed uh, with these games that in your study and production came up for you in any of these games as, ooh, this could be a big thing? Oh, boy, that, that's an open-ended question. I'm trying to think of, uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to look at uh, what we're doing in the show this week, format-wise, and see if there's something um, that really stood out to me. I'm sure there's probably not. We we got into the things that I've been thinking about, which doesn't mean it's everything by any stretch of the imagination, obviously. Um, well, we'll tune in and we'll uh, set our DVRs on the West Coast because it's on at one in the morning. Uh, there you go. And and we'll uh, we'll listen, watch, and learn, and marvel as always at uh, Merrill Hodges Tywith. There you go. Because beautiful. We do. Well, Greg, thank you much uh, as always, my friend. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you next week. 
Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it.